0: Hello everyone, my guest today is Barry Merrick. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Ivy. Ivy is providing mentorship, workshops and exchanges with world-class leaders to unlock potential and ignite your mind. So Barry, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. So good to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining in. So you are joining in from New York City right now, a place that I I like a lot. Um, But give us some more input about who you are as a person and basically how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, very happy to share. Yes, it's a beautiful sunny day here in New York today. Uh, I was originally actually born in Istanbul, Turkey, and at age 11, me and my family moved to Scotland, to Glasgow. And uh, that was quite a move for me. It was a crucible, life-changing experience because in addition to it being a new country, I was the only foreigner in my school. I didn't speak the language and I became a total outsider just overnight. So That experience really made me quite obsessed about community, learning, what brings people together, what unites them, no matter where they're from or what they believe. Uh, So I lived in Scotland for seven years, eventually adopted, picked up a full-blown Scottish Glaswegian accent, and uh, for college, I got to come over to the U.S. Um, And in the U.S., I had a very different time transitioning. I went to Brown University for my undergrad and it was the opposite of my experience moving to Scotland. It was the most fun, welcoming, warmest environment. I was surrounded by classmates, many of whom became lifelong friends, thought partners, business partners. And all day long, all we did was learn from leading minds, dream about the future, and uh, really like uh, have a lot of fun and support each other and collaborate. So I love that, and that was an initial seed for what eventually became Ivy. After that, I worked in London at Morgan Stanley, came back to Harvard Business School for my MBA. And coming back to campus, again, having that experience in the US, I thought, you know what, this collegiate campus environment, this has to be something, this community feeling has to be something that's lifelong and global. And that's uh, what led me to start Ivy.
0: That's very interesting. So coming from an humble background, um, very cool. So what does Ivy do and what's the business model behind the company?
1: Yeah, so Ivy's mission and my life mission uh, is to essentially partner with leaders and their teams to help them unlock their potential. Uh, we do this so that people can elevate their lives, but also the lives of people in their organizations and their communities at large, as well as their families at home. Uh, how we go about what we do is, first of all, we curate out of all the thousands and thousands of people in the world who are top thought leaders and publishing great material. Um, we select the top 12 that we find every single month to interview, learn from, get mentored by. From specific uh, industries?
0: So are they, so do you say like every month has a specific theme? Yeah.
1: So, the way we do it is everything we do is focused on the following te- themes How do we become better leaders? How do we navigate critical trends? How do we bolster our personal well being, like performance from an inner well being side? And all of this in the context of how do we make a bigger impact on the world? So, people we host are from all kinds of industries. You could have the CEOs of multi billion dollar companies you could have best-selling academics who are at the cutting edge of innovation or business theory or organizational behavior uh, you can also have lots of artists and scientists who are also at the cutting edge of who were the, to the top three people that you
0: had who were the top three people if you had to pick some
1: that is very difficult to do and i don't want to offend anyone uh that i don't pick but just over the last few weeks a uh, handful of people I can mention uh, that stands out. We hosted Governor Cuomo uh, f- to learn his uh, leadership lessons dealing with the crisis of COVID here in New York State. So that was an amazing uh, opportunity to learn how do you, you know, um, communicate your, with your team, how do you make decisions, and how do you deal with setbacks and mistakes. Uh, so that was really cool. We hosted John Mackey, who is the CEO and founder of Whole Foods, uh, who built his business from scratch and sold it for $13 billion plus to Amazon. That was a talk on conscious leadership, which is basically how do you lead in a way that is all about like, the long-term and really making that positive impact versus the short-term quarterly approach. And then a third one I'll mention, uh, recently we had Jim Quick. Uh, it was a talk on how to become limitless and unleash your super brain. So this was all about, you know, the very practical things we can all do to really maximize our performance uh, by, you know, adjusting the way we conduct our lives. Uh, So those are three that were especially memorable, but I wouldn't say they were necessarily the very best. Just the three that came to mind, by the way.
0: Yeah. So explain us how you make money out of that. So how do you keep the business going? Because I think you have a couple of employees as well, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, so we definitely have a team. We do a lot, uh, and so like we host these live sessions uh, for everyone to interact with. But we also have our learning library for people to go back to the videos, the podcast format, or the key learning materials we prepare after each event. We also host custom immersive experiences, so we enable entire companies to create annual programs to really enable their companies to have that collegiate campus-like feeling where all the employees are learning together, growing together, and so forth. So members can participate essentially as individuals, which is so they make a contribution, annual membership contribution, to get access to everything that we do. Uh, That's $1,000 a year. And then companies um, can also contribute on behalf of their teams, and depending on company size and so forth, there's different rates for that as well
0: got it so what were um f- when did you start the company like 7 years ago right
1: that's right
0: what were your best resources back then starting out and founding the company
1: best resources uh i would say well <laughs> i would say the best resource i had was just conviction that one way or another that i would and we would make this work i think that was probably the key resource uh I've really reflected on like what was the most critical foundation. And it was just the belief that learning and community can truly unlock people's potential. And even if I keep changing everything about how we do what we do, that why uh, I would say was the, was the most critical, uh, and continues to be the most critical resource cause the world keeps changing. I keep changing. My team keeps like evolving. Uh, but you know, the belief in the core mission I think is, is most critical. Um, from there, I would say um, we had this ability to on the one hand figure out what would be super compelling to people to supercharge their lives and careers. And how do we package that to get a lot of people to participate? So that ability I think was a core asset for us. So we've evolved a lot over the years, but we've always been kind of like really good at identifying, okay, what would really move the needle for people. And how do we package it to get otherwise extremely busy people to engage with this? And we use that as a hook to get them people to bond and connect with each other. So I would say that was key. Um, I started the company with my uh, co-founder, Philip, who was a classmate from business school. So I would say, you know, the MBA experience actually helped me to, you know, have uh, that kind of a friendship that then blossomed into a business partnership. And then of course, Uh, The connections from the MBA definitely helped open doors um, uh, in the initial stages, continues to be helpful. Um, And then, yeah, just like very supportive friends and family who like really believed in me. And, uh, you know, in those very dark days that are, you know, there's always plenty of them, no matter how things are going well or not. Uh, So just having like a very supportive group of people that have always been there for me.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> Interesting. So probably you're a person that has a great objective overview of like who are leaders in the industry and just who are people um standing for for a specific topic. Uh, what are I'm just interested in that. What are your favorite books? Like your top top five <laughs> books because you have probably you have like a hundred books in your background <laughs> and you have talked to probably so many people. Um, if you're having three interviews a, a week, Um, and that over a couple of years so
1: yeah (laughs) this is as hard to answer as when you asked me about my three top guests because there are a lot of books out there I would say at age 17 I read the alchemist and that book enabled me to believe in myself in a way that was completely transformative like that whole concept of like if you believe in something, you know, enough, and give it your best, the whole universe conspires to help you achieve it. That I would say was pivotal, like right at that moment, as I was going to college, it made me feel bulletproof, like naively so, but it helped me. And you know, when you're young, you have that confidence that's not necessarily substantiated by experience. But that book was really, really critical. So if I were to suggest like one book, let's say to a a younger audience or maybe an older audience that needs a little bit of a yeah, we can, event.
0: we can split it like that, like one, two, two people below 25 and then the people be above 25.
1: Yeah. So that, that book was extremely powerful. Um, another book, uh, that I love, I mean, they're related, but I love history. So just two books I'll mention. One is, um, lessons of history by Will Durant, which is a hundred book page very short and he just says okay history and economics history and politics history and and he just puts these into like five page (laughs) into these five page summaries and why i love it is like he just shows like pulls back the veil everything we think is so unique and so different about our times no like nothing nothing is unique like in the truest sense because it's just people trying to get along or, you know, make things happen and uh, the same trends repeat themselves. And I love that. Like, I love science fiction and I love history because I think both of them show different realities of being that are extremely plausible, but it helps us get become more objective and self-aware because if we're just stuck in our bubble, like let's say if you and I only lived in the place where we were born, you know, we'd be in a bit of a bubble. We wouldn't get everything else similarly if we only Definitely. live in our time and not think about the future or the past we're also a bit uh, in a bubble so lessons of history from him and then of course um noah yuval harari uh with both his books like uh, sapiens and the sequel um uh homo deus those two books again it just will give it gives us. if you want to become much more objective about what's happening not that i agree with everything he says, there's quite a bit that maybe I don't see the same as him, but just like you want to zoom out, you want to travel outside of the bubble of the present, yeah. um, you know, and even our species, like, you know, look at humans from the outside. Those are really very powerful books.
0: Got it. Yeah. Thank, thanks for the recommendation. Um, what do you see, because you have been now in the industry for, for seven, yeah, seven, eight years, what do you see it going in the next five years, and in the next 30 years?
1: So, <clears throat> definitely in the next five years, uh, hopefully sooner, I think we have a whole world, like, you know, there was digitization and e-commerce is something people have been talking about for decades now, uh, which makes me feel older <laughs> than, I, than, I, than I typically feel. Uh, but, you know, like this whole point of like, you know, you really, everyone is trained on Zoom now and it's clear that a lot of things can be better delivered digitally, right? So I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a subset, especially when it comes to learning. Like if you just care about delivering the substance, right? You just want to deliver the substance as fast and efficiently as possible, live, real-time and so on, there's nothing better than Zoom. You can also really connect people over Zoom or or digital that then leads to much richer in-person relationships because all the ice has been broken. Like even our conversation today, when we hopefully meet in person one day soon, it's going to be, you know, we can dive straight into things because we've already had a conversation. Neither of us have to travel or spend any time even commuting to grab a coffee, like, right? So I think that, but at the same time, I think, you know, in person is going to make like a massive uh, comeback. Of course, I am not a believer in people who say, oh, we're never going to shake hands again. We're never going to do this. That, that is not true. I think we're going to do it again. I think people are definitely going to shake hands because it will be an even stronger signal of like, I trust you, you trust me, you know, I'm a big believer that all that stuff will come back. Um, however, a whole subset of things that we would only do in person will be permanently done digitally through video conference going forward. Um, I also do believe virtual reality will play a bigger role as, you know, the hardware costs are dipping and people are so comfortable on Zoom now. So if it's just one extra step to, like instead of, if you and I could feel like in this, we're in the same room now and still see each other's, facial expressions, I think that will be something that will be super powerful. Um, so those are a couple of things I do think and that very specifically to what we do, which is learning development leadership. I would say that before you had some companies that really deeply cared about creating a learning organization where, you know, learning and development and growth is a core part of what they do. Those were a minority of companies and it seemed kind of optional. Um, I believe there will be no company left that can afford to not have a structured and extremely thoughtful learning and development program. People are looking for, like employees are looking to their employers to provide not just a the paycheck, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for growth, they're looking yeah. for development. And it's just not, you know, to be competitive. Uh, and to just to be even adaptable, companies need to have their employees not just trained on hard skills, like how do you do Excel models, but like, how do you communicate in the 21st century? How do you galvanize people? How do you give very difficult feedback? Uh, this stuff needs to be ongoing learning, regardless of someone's age, like, you know, not just entry level, but especially, okay, you're getting promoted to the C-suite. You need some in-depth, like accelerated C-suite equivalent of an MBA. Uh, an MBA. But, uh, but, you know, you, nobody has time to go and do that. I mean, very few people have time to do that to leave but real-time companies becoming expert at providing learning and development I think that's going to be uh, an inevitability um, because companies yeah. know exactly what they want their people to do better and they've already built communities of employees that um, that are a captive audience and are looking for this kind of learning and growth
0: yeah got it no that's- that's interesting. Um, one thing that I want to know about uh, about picking the characters every month is on which metrics or what kind of metrics do you decide who your guys are going to choose? Yeah, like so is the, it is it is it impact that they have online reach or how how do you say that?
1: I mean, it's they are the best in their field, whatever that field is. Right? They have a but, very how, but
0: how do you say they're the best? Do you have, you built a software yeah. that analyzes that or?
1: No, it's I mean, like it's, it's pretty subjective. qualitative, right? They're running the biggest companies ever, or the most innovative companies. They're writing the number one best selling books. They're doing cutting edge research that's globally recognized. Um, so, you know, like it's, it's kind of, they've already been kind of verified. And then we're very good about also finding some like emerging talent that is best in class. They may not have had the years to build their gigantic, you know, empires or that might not be their interest, but like they're at the very cutting edge. So one of the key ways we find that is, you know, we do focus on people who are publishing books or have documentaries coming out or they've made, they've got a new initiative that they're launching. Uh, So we don't just pick the best ever, but like someone who was super relevant 15 years ago and still best in class. We will typically go for people who are very right now uh, out with some, something new, a new synthesis of an idea or a new learning so that it keeps everybody in our audience at the cutting edge. So we don't go out and teach stuff from like, hey, uh,
0: yeah, 50 no, years ago, someone wrote sense. this
1: you know, uh, new theory. Do,
0: do you also pay the, the, the person who is getting interviewed or is it just like they do it for fun?
1: Well, they all do it because they are extremely passionate and determined and to you give them spread their spread their message because how they have an impact is yes, they might run a company, yes, they might you know write, uh, run a scientific research or an arts project, but at the end of the day, like any any person who has a product, you make your product as good as possible, but you also need people to know about it, and what our audience provides them with is Here's an audience full of people that will drop everything to really tune into how their work, how your work can get them to the next level, how they can make a bigger positive impact. So it really, for our speakers, it feels a little bit like um, giving a commencement speech in the sense of like it's their opportunity to inspire and uplift and galvanize leaders who can actually you know, between themselves impact millions of people, you know, who can, you know, make sense through there. So, so it's a unique opportunity. And then, you know, the experience is a very positive one too, because we have no agenda other than learning from them. Uh, So, um, so that, that typically helps as well.
0: Yeah, got it. No, that's, that's interesting. Okay, let's wrap up here with a fantastic four question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now?
1: Uh right, so a CEO I'm following and studying. Right now, we have uh well yeah, John Mackey, who I just recently hosted uh, at Whole Foods. Uh we've also got, yeah, I mean look, one that inspires me quite a bit. This is not gonna be that unique, but Elon Musk, just the uh, thinking big and having being so audacious and like really inspiring people to just like, you know reduce their cynicism and like you know like really believe in these big picture things Uh, yeah and it's like you know two steps forward one step back and he's comfortable with that and i think every entrepreneur knows that's the only way only way to be he just does it at this gigantic global stage so i would say he's he's probably one that i'm looking at closely
0: got it okay very cool uh do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day basis
1: That's a great question. So this took me a long time to figure out and I haven't perfected, but here are some of the things that have really helped me. One, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I do not look at my messages, emails or anything until I've done this uh, routine. So I'll read a little bit. Um, uh, As much as I can, I I go for a run in the morning. I do a little like, um, prayer, meditation uh, type of experience. Um, Do a French press coffee. I will grind the coffee beans, which I recently picked up, have the coffee and only done. uh, Oh, before also starting, like looking at emails and stuff like that, I will write my intention for the day. Like the just one overarching intention of like, not the most important to do item, but just generally like, what's the purpose of today? Uh, That anchors me and gives me like a bit more of a positive. Interesting. Then I'll dive in. I try to, uh, I might look at emails quickly to see if there's anything urgent in the morning. But typically I leave my emails like uh, and any meetings, ideally for the afternoon as much as possible. Oh, wow. So then in the morning I can have more of this like free flow, creative time, strategies, proposals, like, you know, creativity. And then I, you know, start my million calls, you know, like so many of us these days, but I try to create a gap Oh, and yeah. uh, Mondays, uh, I do no meetings now other than my all-hands team meeting at the end of the day. So that's been super helpful. On Sundays, I work on strategy uh, for those who like to work on weekend. But Saturdays, I also make a point of not doing anything. So I will not look at an email. I will not talk about work. So Friday night to Sunday morning, complete, you know, uh, no work. Sunday, purely on strategy, which is really fun for me. Doesn't feel like work. And on Monday... So how does a
0: Sunday look for you? Because I don't think a lot of people or not everyone can imagine how it is to work on strategy for you.
1: Yeah, so look, it depends on the kind of person you are. Uh, But for me, I love a blank page. I love creating. I love like coming up with new stuff. So I reserve Sunday for that, not for housekeeping and answering all the emails, whatever, but rather to just really focus in on okay what can be transformational right and sometimes that's a two paragraph email that better enables you to communicate what your company stands for or it could be a potential new business line or a new way of communicating things that i need to spend like just play and bounce around without anyone interrupting me or me myself interrupting myself and sundays are really good for that because like nobody's emailing and calling you on sundays Obviously, the sacrifice is maybe some social life, but I see it as like, you know, that's my creative day. So it just so happens I run a business where I can be super creative. But if I wasn't, if it wasn't that kind of thing, then I would still take the Sunday to maybe, let's say, write a book or, um, you know, work on an art project. Um, Like it's a day of creativity, creation and free thought. And then Monday to Friday is like serious work, but I try to have the first part of the day more creative uh, and not meetings and emails. Uh, And then Saturday is complete, you know, strict, like almost, you know, religious, like I will not work no matter what's happening. Um, And yeah, that's probably saved me and my company over the last 10 years. Probably the most important thing I do. And my routine is that day off.
0: Very cool. Okay. Uh, next question: What's your favorite social media platform for business, and what do you specifically use it for?
1: Favorite social media platform is LinkedIn. Uh, for you know, making sure people know what we're doing, and you know, you have a very like the audience of LinkedIn or the context in which you're in LinkedIn is but you want to connect with great people and you want to learn really important things that can really help you uh in your leadership and career so that like for us that's where where people are in the mindset that you know um of like you know like that kind of up leveling yourself yeah so linkedin is the one for us
0: awesome okay last question buddy what do you wish you knew when you were 20 years old
1: well there's probably a lot of things and that's a great uh great thing for me to reflect on but if the the first thing that came into Mind for me is as an entrepreneur, um, it's so tempting to, especially when something works, immediately think, okay, how do I hire extra people to help me do that? How do I spend money on marketing to help me do that more so that it can keep working better and better? And sometimes the challenge with that, which a lot of like, you know, VC backed companies are, or you know, that VC backed world uh, kind of pushes you to do is that, you know, well, yeah, you can keep doing that and your revenues will grow and investors love that and it looks amazing because your company is bigger and bigger. But the reality is, you know, if I could uh, like give myself one advice going back in time is every time something works, first of all, challenge yourself. How can we automate a whole bunch of things so that you don't need to hire anyone or spend any extra on marketing Mm -hmm. so that you can do more of it without any expenses increasing? If you absolutely cannot automate it totally,
0: How can you potentially
1: outsource it without hiring someone? How can you have an external firm or an outsourced talent who isn't as expensive as a full-time employee, uh, both in terms of money and time and investment? And only if you absolutely can't automate it, and you absolutely can't outsource it or partner on it, then hire the person and be absolutely damn sure that that person is going to push the needle more than what it costs you. Um, that I was kind of inexperienced for sure. And like, I could have treated my team a lot better, invested in them a lot better. If instead of like supporting them with another person, I was able to support them with a better process, better technology or better external support. Uh, So I would say that, that was like, should have been in business school, one of the first classes we had that we didn't have.
0: (laughs) You probably don't learn this stuff in business school, don't you?
1: You learn a lot of things, but then, uh, yeah, there's also a lot you don't learn. Or maybe it's there, but you don't pay attention to it when you're there <laughs> because, like, you haven't been through the pain, right? So I think it's good to keep learning. And that's what, obviously, what we do at Ivy, right? Like, you, you learn stuff when you're yeah. in college, in business school. But here, I'm 35 now. It's not like I'm done with learning. I, in fact, I need to learn now more than ever because a lot more is at stake. Um, so, yeah, lifelong learning is important in that sense.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for insights, Barry.
1: It's such a pleasure. Really enjoyed this and uh, hope we can do this again sometime.